Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. How's it going, everyone? You are tuned into Indie Beat. We are a podcast on the Playlist Podcast Network, and we talk to indie filmmakers, programmers, editors, actors, all around cool-ass people. So, today I have, as a guest, filmmaker Patrick Wang, and without further ado, let's get to the interview. Patrick. Hey, Chris. We're finally here together. It is nice. It's nice to be... Like in person, yes. Doing this, yeah, so yeah. This cool. is unique for indie beat, my friends and listeners, and sometimes both. Uh, I'm in front of Patrick, my guest today, and I've known Patrick for a really long time. And I just remembered that I wanted to do this thing when I started the show, which is thank Patrick for pushing me to see Happy Hour, which is something that I wanted to see for what is it, 2015 movie, something like that. Yeah, it's a. Uh... It's a. I get lost because it's it's just uh, it gets released differently in different territories. But yeah, I think yeah. that's right. It's a few years old. Right. So I've wanted to see it for a while, which is you know kind of standard where it's like I kind of put off things. That happens. Which, yeah, and you know I do that. But I was like, uh, I had a chance to see it. It's really wonderful, and um, it reminded me a lot of your films too, uh, in a very good way. And I, I love your films, and I, I really really. Loved that, and I was happy that you pushed me to see it. So thank you, and people, please see it. Amazon Prime, if you have it, and if you don't, I'm sure there are other ways. You can yeah, and and Hamaguchi's his new film is coming out. Uh, I think this spring, Asako One and Two, and that's definitely worth seeing. Also, where did you see that? I saw it at a festival. Oh, okay. Yeah, I saw them out of order. I, I saw that one first, and it got me very excited. I'm like, who is this person? Mm. And I and then I saw Happy Hour, and it's just beautiful, and it's. Uh, it's nice to get excited, you yeah. know, for a new filmmaker. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and Asako 1 and 2 was, like, much higher profile for him. And so I hope that means that it'll get easier and easier for him to make films so that we'll get lots of them. Yeah. How is it higher profile? It's just, I mean, I imagine it's shorter. It, yes. <laughs> so it's like, you know. It's shorter than Happy Hour. Um, and he, it was, it was at Cannes, and it was... Um, I thought it was in competition, but I recently had a debate about someone like that. We could have easily Googled the result. But, you know, it was, it, it had, a, it got some attention at Cannes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it got a nice slot and, uh, and people take the, people paid attention to it. So that was nice. Yeah. That's cool. So do you, the obvious thing would be like, how much affinity do you feel with him and with his work? The basis thing I could say is, like, you both make really long things. Very <laughs> shallow takeaway. But there is a general feeling that I think is similar to you two. Yeah, I think that, you know, I try not to be so much of a narcissist that when I see someone's thing, I think about how does it... <laughs> 
where do how do I see myself in this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I I know that it's sort of like when you read, um, you know, a short story, a novel, or something. You just connect with you. You see, there's a kind of tenderness um, that he's attuned to. Um, especially in Asako, there's a playfulness that he's just willing to run with this thing out of sort of a, a pure joy, um, and and sort of how he lets people. Um, surprise you. Uh, this is another kind of literary thing that I feel like, like a lot of short stories I love, it's the characters are very surprising. Um, they fill out in an order that you don't expect. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that it's that. It's the sense of surprise, you know, with Asako, it's form um, and different, many different techniques that he kind of makes work. Mm -hmm. and, it's, and it's because he uh, kind of hangs his hat on a real affection for his characters. Mm -hmm. so, Me too as well. I, I think it's just, you know, it's, it's a, I guess it's a value we, ha we have in common that I like to see um, and that I'm a little more used to in other forms in film, you know, maybe in literature and things like that. Mm -hmm. I know you as a friend. So, like, <laughs> I know that how into literature you are and, and stuff. And it's not really I, something I talk to a lot about, yeah. like, about books and, and reading with other people. And I often have you like recommend me stuff. And I, something I do love is having the kind of mystery of like reading a novel and like the structure is often a lot more mysterious than it would be in a film where it's like act one, act two, act three. So you do have that kind of like excitement of just being like, I have no idea where this is going and it feels really good. And they do have a lot of, because of the form maybe, yeah. But they have a lot more opportunity for stuff like that, for like uh, character surprises. I'm thinking that happened a lot with like certain characters in Happy Hour, like coming out and just being like, "Oh, this person I didn't think I would see again. Here they are, and like, here's this totally new angle uh -huh. of of their like personality or something like that." I'm not going to spoil anything. I don't know if you could spoil uh, <laughs> that kind of movie, but um, and I, I see that also in like a Bread Factory, like. Uh, certain characters coming back particularly uh like characters that i thought that you know were kind of antagonistic or something yeah which is you know a shallow way to to say it but i didn't expect to see this side of them and then i do so i appreciate you doing that in your work and it's it's it it's a little less coming from a place of me doing something than i just like the same thing you know, the character surprised me the way they may surprise you. And I think that this is something else that Hamaguchi does, is he seems to let the characters live. Mm -hmm. um, the little I know about his technique, um, you know, they, they do come out of these uh, more improvisational backgrounds. Um, but, you know, when I'm writing, it's a, it's a kind of improv, too. And I think that we ha try to balance the touch of how much we guide and how much we just observe. Um, and let the characters tell us something, reveal something, surprise us. Um, yeah, and it, it is nice to be able to talk with people about books. You know, I remember years ago I was at I was at a party where I was shocked that everybody had read the same. You know, we were we were talking about literature. I was excited to talk about literature, but everybody had written in this little group. We were talking. Everybody wrote read the same books. Um, and I thought, of all the literature out there, how is it that we're only talking about these two or three books? 
and I'm always recommending books to people, and you're one of the few people who actually reads the things, and we end up talking to about them, and it's great, mm-hmm. you know. And it's it's also about the conversation that happens because I have, you know, here in this stack somewhere, I have a, a friend of mine. His kid has just recently gotten very much into reading, and so he, I asked him to recommend a book to me, and uh, because I'd like to talk to him. Mm-hmm. about them and so he rec- recommended spy school so here i have i finished spy school and i'm going into spy camp <laughs> <laughs> it's good it's 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 great and it's great for us to talk mm-hmm. about them um yeah so I, I i do love books it's interesting i'm like this is not how i start the show <laughs> but i i have like these things and it's like you know again we're friends so like i can kind of this i think this is fun to listen to but um normally i would get into like your background and, and bring people but we're going to get there because i have two things i want to well you know i might say something which is that you know i also have trouble talking about background or mm-hmm. influences and things but that might be you know what we've been doing may be very reflective mm-hmm. of sort of how things influence me and how things come together in my life it's sort of it's not in straight line it's usually from some other thing yeah um but it ends up having a place in film so that by the time we finally get to film yeah it's it's influenced you and it's and you've taken your lessons from those things but you never intended to mm-hmm. it's just life and curiosity and interacting with people um and i think that that's maybe what is a little different about my background is that it comes more from that sense of dynamics between people how we understand people and things outside of film itself it's like film is sort of uh in the end it kind of fall away it's sort of the things you observe that lead you to want to make the film and then the conversations you have after the film Mm -hmm. um and it's sort of just this intermediary between those two things Mm. it's interesting um i was i was thinking about uh when we were talking I might have lost one of the points, but one of the other ones as we were talking, you mentioned that um, people had all read the same books. And when I was preparing for this interview, I was very happy. I mean, I've been very happy the last few weeks to see like the top tens come out and Bread Factory is on them. Like so many. Congratulations. It Thank makes you. me happy. Um, but it gets into the thing. I remember a friend of mine asked, like, are you doing a top 10 this year? I was like, no, absolutely not. Like, I don't really keep up much. It's not fun for me because, yeah. you know, if it's, if you do one and it's fun for you, keep doing it. I'm not going to tell you not to do it. But for me personally, I kind of like, I would always see top tens and it would be like the same 20 movies in a different order and mm-hmm. move. And that's not fun. I don't find fun. I, I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to um, find something and read something that makes me seek out a movie that I didn't even hear about before. And mm-hmm. that goes like with the discovery of like, uh, giving someone a book and having them, you know, read it and then they love it and then you can talk about it and something new. It's not like uh, uh, something on like the New York Times bestseller. It's like, okay, I'll pick one of those and read it. There's no sense of discovery. And um, I was really happy to see your film because your film on the, on the lists, because it meant that people were, you know, seeking out your movie. And another aspect of it is like these lists, they do really help they do really help a film like yours which is like 
it's not like an Oscar yeah. bait like movie that you know I get that you love it and I get that you want to put it on this list but yeah the other angle is like you could really help a film and uh, I don't know I I see it as probably a good thing for your movie I don't know yeah I mean there are there's a lot of territory in 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 that comment and uh, you know I almost like film itself or anything else it's you know, a, the list or, you know, an article or a review can mean different things to the person writing, the person reading, and to the thing it's commenting on. And I, th- you know, in I don't think too much about what things should be. I think it's amazing when things um, reflect something um, out of the ordinary. You know, for example... I, I care less about if a review is good or bad um, than about one. I, th- I think it's wonderful when reviews can help me understand um, the film mm-hmm. and what what I've done or how it might relate to other things, um, or when they recommend other things that I you know films I haven't seen that I'm like oh okay that that leads me off on a on a point of discovery, um, and I like it when uh, you know there's a very basic element of a review which is that if they are talk you know if they're excited about the same things you're excited about that's just a human thing that's wonderful it's like we to have something in common with someone uh to have them see what you do is wonderful um i like when they create a space like you describe where it's you know this really means something to me this is not like a lot of the industrial things, you know, swirling around at, in these lists. Um, I'm going to make a little space for something like this, um, and particularly a space in the conversation. Um, and you never know exactly what that's going to do, right? These, uh, these things aren't sure things. They're not commodities. Uh, you, you never know who's going to read it. You never know what it may lead to. Um, my experience has been that they do help in ways and, and in ways I, I may not ever know. You know, someone books the movie, they don't necessarily tell me it's because they read X review or they saw it on this list. But I think in general, it, it really does open up a space that, um, you know, nothing else has been pointing us into, which is the film conversation. Um, and it's that space has been opened up by these critics, um, some of them who have pretty big platforms and are using them um, to help in a film that, you know, doesn't, doesn't add anything to them. You know, there's nothing sexy to attach yourself to mm-hmm. in, in, in including this film. It's just merely that you, you actually feel something for it. And that's, I think that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I always dreamed that <laughs> would uh, be in like what kind of service that would give. I, and I'm, that's just, it's not always that case, but no, and it's, but it's, it doesn't always have to be. And it's, it's just really wonderful that it can happen from time to time. Mm-hmm. You know, I think what is discouraging is when there's no, none of these spaces, you know, and I've, I've been very impressed with, um, things that are designed to create those spaces. Um, and when they're maintained for a while and I, you know, I'm partial because, you know, the independent spirit awards have been good to me. Um, but they are by design kind of, we'll talk about certain types of movies that everybody's talking about, 
but we're going to create these particular categories or these little spaces. Um, we're going to have it open for a certain type of, you know, a range of submissions. Um, and we will um, have certain policies for how the committee um, watches all of these that um, lets the things that fall through the cracks kind of have a space. Um, and so it's very hard to design those spaces as a matter of um, sort of uh, uh, policy. Um, and then it's very hard to keep to them, mm -hmm. you know, because uh, they're, they're not appreciated. Um, and so to that the that film independent has kind of done that over many years, you know, and, and they nobody gets it right all the time. But mm -hmm. like the fact that they've sort of been able to maintain that space um, that a conversation about certain films and I and I do this every year I I watch all the screeners and there's almost always one or two films that just I've heard nothing about and I would not have heard anything about uh, but for what film independent does and and sort of uh, focusing a little attention on them hmm. yeah so speaking of focusing attention <laughs> um, are we getting to the first question now? <laughs> uh, so Patrick first began his filmography, his film career, uh, he made a film called In the Family. And could you give us a brief pitch of that? People haven't seen it. And tell us how that kind of came to be, because film isn't really your background, so mm -hmm. to say, as in, like, I went to film school and here I am. You know, like, you didn't have that, so... How did yeah, you get there? I, I, I had started uh, in theater um, and first as an actor and uh, I started a theater company uh, with, with my partner at the time. Um, and that's when I started producing and directing, uh, mostly because there was nobody else. We couldn't we couldn't afford to hire anyone else. And so as as it often goes, you know, you, you find yourself with all these new roles to learn. And I liked it. I, I liked the directing. Um, I was a very different director then. Uh, you know, I think as, as typical of a lot of young directors, you were, you had very specific ideas of what you wanted to see. And I was, you know, micromanaging every detail of performance, of design, of everything else. Um, and I couldn't, I couldn't keep that up. It was, uh, it was very hard work. I'm amazed people who can, who can run their theater companies for decades. Uh, I couldn't couple years and I was out. Um, I continued to direct a little in theater. I moved to New York and, and started acting here um, in plays, TV, films. And uh, like a lot of actors, you know, sort of between jobs, you just start writing. And somewhere along the way, I, I wrote a script um, that I thought I would sell to someone, you know, uh, someone else would make it. Um, I just, I enjoyed writing it. Um, and then my, uh, my father got very ill and it was a script about fathers and I suddenly really wanted to make it. I thought, you know, uh, I'd like to leave all the plays that I had done, you know, they vanished. You can read reviews, you can read, yeah, there's scraps of evidence, but the thing itself is gone. And I thought it would be nice to, to leave some work. Um, and so I'm like, okay, I will, I will make this film. Um, 
and I eventually became director because, again, out of uh, couldn't afford to hire anyone, <laughs> and a sense of protection of, uh, you know, as often goes in a lot of these conversations when you're about to make a film, all the interesting things about the film are on the chopping block. And all the cliches you manage to avoid, you know, they're, they're the first reflex of any conversation. And, uh, yeah, so out of this, these sort of dual goals, one was to, to have this view of fathers come to life, and two, to protect it. Um, I sort of became a filmmaker. How, was that your question? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, even if it wasn't, that was great. Uh, we, you talked a little bit at the end about something that I really like about you, and it's something that I kind of struggle with myself, where it's just like doing something and sticking to your guns and kind of deflecting pushback and and really like pushing forward with the idea like you have a lot of courage and, and confidence and, and you can see that in the film um, for those who don't know the film is roughly three hours yes two and, hours 49 minutes right and people told you to cut that oh yeah yeah uh, you don't have to use much imagination to know yeah uh, people to this day are still telling me to cut that uh, to cut every movie <laughs> um, and I think of it as you know, definitely I don't think of it as courage um, because I think courage is more, if it's anything that looks like that, it's a consequence of other things. And that it's, it's pretty simple to me. It's that I fall in love with something in the films, um, that thing they tell you you're not supposed to do, but I think is essential. Uh, if you're not going to love your film, who is? Mm. Um, and so I fell in love with certain things and I, to the point that I could not hurt them. Um, and I think that maybe that's all it takes for a certain kind of courage is that you just have to, uh, let that love live, you know, exercise it and, uh, yeah. And, uh, let it be louder in your, in the voices in your head than any fears or any worries or, uh, any actual uh, voices in the world. Um, what's hard is to honestly... Um, question what is in front of you mm -hmm. and and you do have to question the th you know it's not that you love and that's period it's your first reflex and you go with it mm -hmm. um, it's very this is something I kind of learned from my dad is he was very good at stepping back and asking questions honestly about something um, and I kind of learned to do that with the movies like when I fi when I saw that this was a almost three hour movie I remember that night leaving the uh, editing suite. <laughs> it was, it was uh, a very cold night. Um, it was about this time, exact, almost exactly this time of year. And I just walked for hours, kind of turning the, the picture over in my head, trying to figure out, uh, is there some other way? Uh, what happens, you know, when, when, we, when we sacrifice this thing, what we do? And am I really getting something wrong? Um, and I came to the conclusion, you know, no, this is um, that calculus I laid out at the beginning was valid, that these things I loved were real mm -hmm. and that these other actions would really harm it. Um, so I think when you come to some uh, 
sort of when you've done your due diligence in in thinking through that balance of things, um, then you're I I've, I felt permission mm-hmm. to to just love the thing and defend it and not hurt it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I get really worried about that because it's like, am I coming off as stubborn? Are they really seeing something that I'm not? And should I be listening to them? Um, or am I right? I always kind of err on the side of like, I've literally never seen this before. Mm-hmm. And I want to see it because I clearly mm-hmm. made it. So am I just going to do the cliche thing because this person is telling me and this person is telling me this like very obvious thing to do or am I going to do this thing that I've never seen before and there's hopefully at least like one other person who's going to see this and be like, oh, that's unique. And whatever, maybe it's not unique and maybe I'm making that up in my head but that's kind of the way I I kind of... Yeah, you're trying to to build some consciousness of exactly what you're doing and why. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is... That is the domain of the filmmaker, to think through that very hard question. It's not obvious. I mean, it, it is sort of the point you're describing where people are trying to decide, you know, I have these instincts or these feelings about something. I'm hearing this and I'm understanding, you know, because you do really have to think about not just its path through the world, but what it does for the audience. Um, and it's, I think, the struggle that um, is very healthy for filmmakers to engage in. You know, you, sometimes the, you're so confused, you really wish something could take it away from you. Um, but I think that it's the thing that matures a filmmaker, um, that when you ask those hard questions, you build a kind of confidence. Um, and I, I don't like the processes that kind of try to take it away. You know, the certain cliches of... Uh, you know, it's, it's funny, the word is the same for actors and for directors, but there's this word of freshness. You know, for a director, it's like you want fresh eyes. And for actors, the, the idea is that, oh, you want, you know, the performance to be fresh. And I think that those are both ways of taking away what can be the real contribution of deep understanding. Mm-hmm. You know, that actors are, can create, can make things fresh. That's part of a lot of actors' training. Um, and that the same way, you know, that um, there is value to a director who has turned over and who is using the imagination of sitting with fresh eyes. Like, you can use your imagination and think, okay, I'm a new person, I'm seeing this, and move through it. Um, that that's the domain of a director and, and enduring that very difficult time. Um, and that the directors learn a lot from how they get through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and this idea of bringing fresh eyes to sort of take that uh, the voice away from the director at that point, I think, is a shame. Yeah, it it assumes that the opposite must mean stale, and there's nothing else mm-hmm. that could be there. And it also kind of leads into this whole like uh, very commodified kind of thing that neither of us honestly is like really interested in. So you kind of have to just keep reminding yourself that's not that's not what we're doing that's not like yeah and, and there want. are people who are doing that and who would like to do that and that's mm-hmm. great um but yeah there there is a sense i feel often you know there's certain decisions that the film would not have needed me for you know and but there's other things that i as an individual can contribute um 
if I, as a person, am doing this, it would be nice to hold on to those things, um, as opposed to making the movie that anyone could have made. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's yeah. There's so many. Sometimes I look at a, I watch a movie and I'm like, I don't know, like, what's the vision here? This kind of just seems like something I watched a couple minutes ago. Like there mm-hmm. is like a homogenous thing and it makes me wonder what it was like in that room where like other people were kind of forcing something forcing this movie into some kind of straight and narrow path and it didn't want to be on in there for whatever reason and it kind of like that many things like upset me about uh you know this kind of filmmaking thing and that's definitely yeah i i think I am probably most upset when, you know, we we are part of these processes where, you know, a friend has finished a, some cut of a movie and, you know, we're joining them for a screening, a rough cut screening. And um, it, it's the time when a filmmaker is most vulnerable. And usually due to insecurities of the other people in the room, people who should know better uh, use that as a point to really dig into a filmmaker. And I think it's very ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, again, from people who should know better. And instead of trying to help the person become um, more confident, understand their piece better, it is looking to supplant their role um, and take over something. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I think it's very ugly and I feel very bad for, particularly in the independent sphere and, you know, in this world where we're trying to make more personal things that, that we have that step that is in the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've had enough experiences that I don't even go through that. Um, I, I won't. But for the people who who do or who need to, uh, because of uh, producers' insistence or something else, uh, yeah, I feel bad for what we may lose mm-hmm. in that process. Yeah, yeah, it's that's something that's always bugged me, and I wondered, like, am I being too sensitive? Am I taking it too personally? Mm-hmm. And then I've kind of like talking to you, you know, because we have like kind of similar views on this, but that's helped me and I kind of like distanced myself and looked at it and it's like there's a way to kind of see where someone's coming from but at the same time it's like you're talking to other filmmakers and you can kind of figure out who is just making your movie into theirs who is saying like oh you should do this and then you kind of know what movies they like or that they do and it's Mm -hmm. like well I'm not doing yours so how can I use like my feelings are getting hurt I'm feeling like uh, you know I'm bearing everything and you're kind of just trying to remodel my film in in your eyes. And Mm -hmm. that's not really helpful. Part of it is also natural. You know, Mm -hmm. we know ourselves best. We, our instincts are ours (laughs) and they show up in a lot of our commentary as well as our work. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, again, I think that the thing you're talking about of, of how people deal with the vulnerability of a person at that moment, I think is one thing. I think there's also um, a dose of humility that's missing, um, 
which is, you know, any film of moderate complexity, uh, it is almost impossible to know certain things about how it can be rearranged. Um, you know, for one, that moderate complexity means that you, you know, having watched it once, this is, I, I say that, you know, with the caveat of having watched it once, you can't know certain things because you haven't in your head moved all the pieces around. You in your head don't know the catalog of what of footage that's available to you. Um, there's so many things you don't know um, that I think it should, at the very least, um, give you a, a little humility in how you make your commentary. Um, that you don't use these very harsh words that, again, um, when a person is most vulnerable, I think, is, uh, is a little cruel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also just respect for the process. Like, that is the thing that makes you a filmmaker. You know, it's not, it's not that you avoid, it's not everything but the hard parts. Mm-hmm. You know, it's particularly the hard parts. Um, that's when you learn the most, and that's when you strengthen the most, uh, your convictions and, and your views of things. Um, and yeah, so I, I get upset when that gets taken away. Mm. So back to in the family <laughs> and this, uh, you know, we'll go off on the other two as well because this will fit. But you've made your first film and you're ready to put it out in the world. Mm-hmm. What were you thinking? Like what? I don't mean it like that. I mean, literally, <laughs> literally what were you thinking? Like, did you know what? To do like generally like, okay, you finish a film, you you send it out to festivals. If people yeah. don't know, that's like kind of, you know, in our kind of scene, that's what you do. Did you know what to do, and how did that go? I, I mean, at the beginning, it was I I knew as little as anyone, mm-hmm. and I knew the paths that I thought were what you did. You know, so you submit to the big festivals you've heard of. Um, you try to get distributors to see it, um, and. You know, I I know this is... A lot of people expect, you know, uh, now that I've been through the process several times, that somehow I'm not that same person who has wrong impressions and who doesn't quite understand how things work. It's the same now. What do you mean? I still don't understand how these things work. Mm-hmm. And certain elements are, are still a mystery. And it's partly because they're always changing. Your film is changing. Um a festival that is an institution is a reflection of the people there, and they're always changing. Um, and so uh, this question of what opportunities are available to your film is, a, uh, is very much a changing thing. And so the thing I'm resistant to is a lot of people who like to talk models um, because they like to, um, you know, part of my turnoff is that it's a, it's a term of it. It's an industrial term. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about, you know, it's, it's what you apply to widgets. And I, I think you have to look, keep looking at your film, how it interacts with the people who it's interacting with, and what are the opportunities available to you. Um, that I learned pretty soon after I didn't get into festivals, after distributors weren't interested. You start looking at, okay, what can we do? Um, and sometimes there aren't a lot of choices. Um, but then when you start on one road, when you stay independent, so let's say that, you know, you didn't enter any of these points in the pipeline so that you're not on this, um, path. Um, 
what's nice is also you're not stuck in a pipeline. <laughs> you're free in the world. And you're also free to do things like fail. For example, I, I said, okay, I'm going to four wall in the family um, in New York. Maybe people will see it. Maybe critics will see it. Um, it's got to connect with somebody because so far it wasn't connecting with anyone. And it did. It did connect with some people and it did connect with critics and some beautiful things happened. Um, but it didn't solve uh, the fate of the film. And so you have to look at it again. Okay, it's the day after. Your New York run is done. You've got nothing else. And then you've got to look at the situation again and see what's possible. And some new possibilities have come up because, you know, this theater has heard about it and they may be interested in it. So you start talking to them. You start learning what does it take to book a theater. Then you start learning about publicists. And you essentially, you know, become a little more sophisticated in understanding distribution, which you had already started. Mm. And I think that that process continues. Uh, you do another booking, and then even if you go back to that theater with the next movie, it's different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you constantly have to take in all this new information to understand what is possible for this film in this moment. So you kind of did, I think, remind me, a year-long tour within the family? I think it <clears throat> ended up being about eight, an 18-month theatrical. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's not like you on day one, you're like, this will be an 18 month tour. (laughs) Um, you just sort of think, how can it exist? And you look for ways. Um, and so it did many counterintuitive things. For example, it came back to New York in a theatrical run a year later. Um, and then because several publications didn't cover us before we got all these new reviews because um from the second run we did the same thing in san francisco mm-hmm. um at the time the publicist was awful and we didn't get any publicity no one really knew about it and so uh, i don't think that was a whole year later but um later we came back maybe half a year later and we reopened the city um with a better understanding of how to handle the publicity uh for that town and so, yeah, it looks very strange. Um, but again, the real benefit you have is that if I had opened New York with my film and it didn't do well, you know, the thing that people look at, the box office was not good, um, a distributor might give up on it. Um, whereas you as an individual can decide. I mean, you don't have to. Um, I, you know, we've already covered in this conversation at least several times I've given up on things. So, so I'm all for giving up when it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. But if you choose not to, you cannot give up. And you can keep going and you can keep calling the theater week after week and trying to get a booking. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times theaters do need time. You know, for example, with a bread factory, we just opened at the end of October. If we already had a digital date or something, you know, early 2019 it would cut off possibility for a lot of theaters that had just heard about it. Um, you know, their schedules are booked up for a few months. Uh, they can start looking at it in the spring. Um, we would never be able to play those theaters if we sort of rushed onto digital. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do you, you've done this tour within the family. You also did like a similar one with your film after Grief of Others, and you're doing it a similar kind of thing with a bread factory. They're all a little different. Grief of Others in the U.S. Uh, at the you know in the year after it was made, 
played a couple festivals. Open South by not open, yeah premiered. It, <laughs> it played at South by Southwest, and it uh, yeah. So it played a few festivals in the U.S. It did not get any commercial play. Um, I tried to do a thing. Again, it's you. You look at what you can do with the tools available to you at the time. Um, at that time, uh, Tug, the relationship they had with movie theaters in New York, you could get very low minimums for certain theaters uh, in a way that it was economical to, to try something, which was I tried to play on a dark, you know, uh, a weeknight uh, once a week, thinking, you know, one of the things we need is time for people to hear about it. Um, and we didn't have any money. But I thought, okay, well, this is, we're not, in this time, we're not going to invest in a publicist. Um, we're going to see if people just show up for the love of it because they've heard about it, we'll work hard. Um, and in the end, as many people came as would come during a week long run, and mm -hmm. we played, instead, we played one show a week uh, for 10 weeks. Um, and that was very interesting. But again, like this idea of the window comes and goes. Um, those relationships with the theaters and those that pricing of the minimums has changed, and so that is no longer a possibility. Uh, what I did do is I I toured a lot of theaters in France. For there we have a uh, it's the only country where I have a traditional distributor, um, and they set me up to uh, to go to all these wonderful uh, theaters in in pretty small towns, um, towns I I might not go to otherwise. Uh, it was beautiful. Like I remember, there's one small mountain town I went to, which just had the smartest audience. You know, it's it's a it's a population of just a couple thousand people in this town. They're the most film savvy of anyone you'll meet, and it's because in town basically you have a cinema, mm -hmm. and people come from come from the mountain. You know, they come from their farm or wherever, and they they go to the cinema and they talk to each other about it afterwards. And they had a really great programmer. And that creates this sort of cultural stronghold um, and a very beautiful thing and an inspiring thing. That kind of place inspired, I didn't know it at the time, but inspired a bread factory. Mm -hmm. um, one of the great things about sitting in front of you is I can give you this look that says, I got nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was that look, that, but then you started talking, and I was like, oh, he just said that. Yes, it's, um, it's, it's commentary on not having anything else. I just vocalized the look. Yeah. No. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. It's like, so we've been at it for a while. We've submitted to festivals for a while. We've been rejected. And you do, well, I can't speak for you, but it's just like, you. there is like a kind of like, a negativity like I feel bad mm -hmm. but I like my film and I think if only someone would take a chance I think people would find something in it that liked it and um, it's interesting to be proven right not that like uh, I think like I've personally made a masterpiece or anything but it's like mm -hmm. I think people would like it if they saw it if someone was like here it is then people yeah. would come to see it um and I'm, I just had this, like, experience in Italy that was like that, and I'm wondering, like, uh, how has it felt to to have that kind of, like, for lack of better words, fan base in France? I, you know, I, 
I was talking to someone recently about, we were arguing this, this concept that everybody loves an underdog story. Mm-hmm. And my view is that actually people love top dog stories that start as underdog stories. Yeah. Nobody really gets excited about the underdog that stays the underdog. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very cautious about saying, you know, this is the prize. This thing is the prize. I mean, p- for one part, because it may not, you know, be France is not magical. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it has struggles. Um, and, you know, my, my new film has not done very well there at the box office. And people are not paying attention to it the way they pay, pay attention to the last one. And that happens for a lot of filmmakers, you know, with um, much richer histories in f- making films and with much uh, bigger profiles than I have. Um, I think the thing that I'm most sensitive to is what you're talking about, that, f- that loneliness. You know, again, people make, from the, you know, there's a, some people make films because they want to talk about certain things. They want to communicate something. And not only is no one listening, no one's talking back, um, that's heartbreaking. I think that rather than, you know, this idea of how can we get these, uh, these systems or points of approval to shine in our favor, I like to think about the things we can do for each other, which is to, I mean, at a very basic level, just watch each other's films. Mm-hmm not tell each other how to <laughs> recut them. Yeah. Um, talk about the things that, that we want to talk about, you know, that were part of the making of it. Um, and keep each other a kind of company um, in that, you know, in the struggle. And, I, you know, a bread factory was sort of built off of this principle. I remember when I was, when I was going to a theater in France, God, they were so happy to see me. And I was so excited to be there. And I thought it was hysterical because if you think practically, you know, nobody knows who I am. <laughs> you know, yeah. Nobody's coming to the theater because, you know, I'm showing up there yeah. uh, to talk about the movie. And their theater is not going to, like, solve my, you know, is not going to give me this huge box office. Mm-hmm. And financially, it's not going to save my movie. Yet we were so excited, you know, to see each other. And I think it's because just being company for each other in the struggle is quite key. Um, and maybe in the end, it's, it's, yeah, it may be more important than anything else. Mm. Um, and, and it's also the thing that we have the power to do for each other. You know, we can't move these systems and these institutions ourselves, um, but we can be good to each other um, and we can be company for each other. Uh, and we can be audiences for each other. It's so weird. Uh, you know, I do have a lot of friends who are filmmakers and they do provide that. But I will say it is a startling amount of people where it's just very individualistic and it's there's not that kind of support. And I don't know what it is. I don't know other arts. I don't know if it's like that, where it seems like the most important thing is like to kind of be competitive or to compare like you deserve this and this person doesn't like I feel like I see that more often than I should I I think it's very again it's very natural instinct Um, I have it a lot of times but like a lot of 
natural instincts that you shouldn't exercise or you should try to exercise some uh, contrary action mm-hmm. to. I think that those are, and as a matter of industry, you know, and as a matter of superlatives, you know, just the language we apply to a lot of films, that we get plenty of exercise in that. It's sort of the way we get plenty of exercise in, you know, in, in our capitalist impulses. Mm-hmm. I think that what happens is we have to choose and remember to exercise all these other things, um, which are, you know, are often less about what we demand of the world, you know, and what we want from the world, than again what we can give, um, and our responsibilities to each other. Um, that I think that one of the things I think is great about talking about things like this is, you know, this post and I, and I'll hear from somebody and, um, who is in that kind of lonely place Mm -hmm. and you just get to talk to them, um, and be that company that we were talking about. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I guess I must believe these things because I keep repeating. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it kind of is just like the easy thing. And we were talking earlier, it's like the reflexes to do something cliche or whatever. And this like base kind of like, you know, pretty capitalist uh, behavior is in us. And like, mm-hmm. you kind of have to consciously be like, no, like, you know, I'm not going to do that. I, right. This is how it should be. And this is how I need to like behave. And right. Behave. Well, and, and I think a lot of it is also because we want some relief. Yeah, you know, and we think that many of these things will bring us some relief, mm-hmm. you know. And it happens. For example, you know, I open my movie, and a lot of times the conversation, even you know, among, uh, I'll talk to a theater, I'll talk to uh, just a fellow filmmaker, and their instinct is to say, you know, what, what was the box office? What was the box office? Mm-hmm. And I understand because that's my first instinct at the end of the week. Is I'm like, what was the box office? Because yeah. you understand how it can help. Mm-hmm. How after you get past a certain point, it can bring some maybe bring some relief. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's um, you can't just talk about all the other stuff, right? You can't just talk about oh aesthetics means something. Oh, you know these principles mean something. You actually have to live them mm-hmm. and exercise them as much as you exercise all that other stuff. Um, And I, I find all of this in your work. I find this kind of you exercising these things through your work. This kind of uh, this this empathy, this kindness, and stuff like that. Um, and I want to lead into your new film, A Bread Factory, which is two parts. And also, Grief of Others also had a, a which is your second film that had a, like a, a recent run. Do you want to like pitch? both of them or, or one of them however you want to do it I'll, I'll briefly describe them sure um, you know The Grief of Others is based on a novel by Leah Hager Cohen and who was a friend of mine for many years and it was wonderful to work on an adaptation um, it taught me a lot uh, it was uh, a little more experimental than the other films um, but it taught me a lot about information and the order in which we learn information about people and how we can come to our understandings about people. And that helped me make uh, a bread factory. I think there's a very clear lessons I took from both my other films that informed how a bread factory was made. And, and a bread factory is, a, like you said, it's a two-part film. Each part is two hours. 
and they tell the story of a community arts uh, center um, in the fictional town of Checkford. And sort of there's some changes to this town um, in gentrification and other kinds of uh, forces at play and where people's attentions are being pulled. And it's sort of how does this place survive or if it will survive. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, um, it's the most... It feels like some sort of circle has been closed with that film because it's finally taking the influences of what I learned along the way of making the others. Or literally, you know, when I was on tour within the family, one of the theaters I visited was the theater we ended up shooting a bread factory at. Um, I was the Janine Garofalo character who was invited to, to show my film um, at that place. Uh, yeah, and also a bread factory, because it is a community space, they are doing a production of a play. And so it let me bring in sort of uh, my background in, in theater um, and kind of capture, particularly in classical theater. Uh, that was sort of a, a passion of mine. And I always had a very specific view as to how I felt it should be performed um, f for a contemporary audience. And I was really happy I got to kind of uh, express that, document that in, in the new movie. Mm. How do you put together these things? Like, how do you... Like, what makes it so that... I don't know. I don't know how to put this, and I think this could be interesting to audience members because you've written these three things. And I, I know you've written more, but you've written these three things and you've made them into films and they're exactly how you want to be. How do you, like... How do you do it? Because you did it once, and some people mm -hmm. can do it once, and that's it. But you did it three times, four if you count, the Bread Factory. Yeah. That it should be three and four. I don't know. I mean, I mean there's a piece of it that is essential, but also very boring, um, which is that I just had a lot of money saved going into the first film. Um, so you can look at that. As, if you're looking for ideas, you can say, you know, okay, work for a decade, save money, and make your film. Yeah. If it's that important, that's one path mm -hmm. you can choose. Um, and that there has been enough um, of, you know, I made that first film with, this, with the idea that I would be okay if there was not one penny of income. Not even breaking even, but not even, a, you know, a, an ounce of income. And there ended up being a little income. Um, and, you know, something else that is not talked about too much um, with uh, with indie films and with U.S. films is that, you know, I, I wouldn't have been able to make a bread factory if not for the tax credit in New York State. Um, that sort of gave me some, returned some capital that I could then put into the next film. Mm -hmm. um, and we talk a lot about, you know, oh, there's no funding for the arts here in the U.S. But, you know, Mike, I've applied a couple times for funding in, in Europe and I've always been rejected on artistic principles for reasons of artistic merit. And one of the nice things about New York State is you fill out the correct paperwork. You have the right, uh, you submit the right, you know, uh, information and you, do, you follow the rules um, and you get it. There is no judgment mm. of uh, artistic merit. And to somebody like me, again, that's meant a lot um, 
you know, you would think in some way, your intuition is maybe if somebody makes things of artistic quality, that a system that purports to uh, care about that would support that better. Uh, but my experience has been the blind system that sort of is just basic bureaucracy um, and no judgment on, on the bureaucracy's part has been the most helpful to me. Mm. Um, there's other pieces of answers to, I mean, a, a big part of how these things come together is also on the backs of some people who, who work really hard. Um, you know, they, while it's true in certain sectors, you're the director is alone and will have to work the hardest. Um, there's other places where people are also working damn hard. And I've been very lucky to have the people that not only, you know, go into it saying that they care, um, but that actually do it, mm -hmm. you know, um, and fill in all the gaps that need to be filled in so that you don't, I mean, it's one thing to have an idea of, oh, this is what I want to do. Um, execution can be pretty impossible, especially for a bread factory, which uh, the part I didn't mention is not only it's long running time, but it has a cast of over 100. Um, several days, you know, there was one day we had uh, over 200 extras on set. <laughs> it's just, and, you know, and there's a lot of other, um, and, you know, it's a distant location and all, all these things that really complicate um, execution of this thing. And we ended up shooting both films in, in 24 days. Um, that doesn't just take somebody saying, you know, I, this is my vision. This is what I want to do. It takes a lot of people thinking a lot about it, trying, um, you know, figuring out how to execute and then actually just doing the hard work mm. of executing and making sure things don't fall apart. Mm. Time check. Now we're getting there. <laughs> um, is there anything you wanted to touch on that we haven't at this point? No. You're feeling You're good? the one with the paper. I am. Yeah, it's weird. I always have this paper and it's just like, most of the time I'm able to like get a stride and then it's like, okay, we did that. I think you know, <laughs> 20 minutes ago, it's like not in order at all. Um, but are you okay? Did you want to talk more about like specifics of films? You know, I, I'll mention one thing that's in line with what we're talking about. How does it get done? Mm -hmm. um, this is something, you know, our, our friend Aaron, mm -hmm. who is on his way yes. to meet us. Um, you know, I, I started doing something where apparently I was, you know, because I've, I've been producer on all my films, I'm, I'm used to looking at budgets. And I, the, the, the pretense was that, oh, I'm helping with their budget, mm -hmm. helping them understand certain elements of budget. Um, but in that process, I sort of had a eureka moment with how I can make a bread factory. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, you know, it's not just talk, this idea of, um, that engagement is good and that sort of trying to help others is good is that it does get returned in these unpredictable ways. And if I had not engaged in that, um, then I, I don't know that the movie would exist. I would have been stuck thinking I need this budget uh, to make the movie mm. and never being able to get there. Mm. Yeah, I think we often... I want to say in this country, in this society, I, I, I could be wrong. Um, it could just be worldwide, but we often, like you say, 
I think people do operate that way, but they operate it. It's like, that's like first priority. How does this help me? You know, as opposed to like, no, I'm helping this person and it just helps me. And I don't even know how, but it yeah. does. And that's the kind of, if we go really back, that's kind of what we're doing. Like we read a book, don't know like what this is going to do. I don't know yeah. where I'm going, but I find the joy in it. And that's what I want to see in movies too. And that's how we make movies. We and see and it's, again, it's a thing to exercise. Like it's not natural. Mm-hmm. to me it's a thing i have to remind myself to do um all the you know all the all morality is an exercise you know it's not some inherent thing you're born with and when you say like you see these things in movies about you know wh- what can make us better um i make these movies because i'm learning those lessons too and i'm trying to remember that and i'm trying to exercise those things yeah I mean, I I think that that was what, going back to books, in Casava, uh, not Casavetes, it's the other Casa, Casanova, <laughs> different memoir, um, in his history of my life, you know, he was talking about morality, which may not be the first thing you'd expect, mm-hmm. but it's the thing I really remember. And he was talking about moral people that he had met in his life. And he said they just, there was nothing fundamentally different about them than the fact that they just exercised their morality. You know, it's not that knowing right, wrong, this, that is meaningful or not is um, a mystery to any of us. It's just actually exercising. And that's almost like, you know, you bring it full circle to one of the early things you said about discovery. Mm-hmm. It's a mystery, the kind of work it takes to discover. It's just that it's work. Um, it's not convenient. Uh, but if it's a value, then you have to do it. You have to invest. And like many things like that, of virtues, you just get in the exercise. You get into shape. Um, and I found that with reading. You know, it's like you get into that uh, place where you can get lost in the book. You get better at it. Um, you read faster. Um, and you are also more willing to sort of jump in and follow someone. Uh, in this direction for exper- extended periods of time. Um. Hmm. Something that always... I have a habit of making a movie and it takes me a really, really long time to uh, get it out there. Um, which is thankfully done. I've also completed my little circle mm-hmm. that I haven't had like a feature that I've been working on for a long time. But... Um, when you do work so long on something like that, it's just like you need people to see it, but it's not possible because it's not happening because it's not finished or it's like it's not clicking with like certain people. And um, I've always been one to just be like, get it out there. I don't care how you see it. Uh, just I want it out there. I want people to see it. Mm-hmm. And you are very particular about how you uh, have your movies. So is like in the family is available digitally yes um is grief in france Uh, in france it is yeah but not here yet um part of that is it just had its theater you know its commercial release Mm -hmm. uh last month um i i know this is also one of those things that from an outside it may seem very particular yeah but it's more you know it's i have no um the thing that concerns me is the life of the film. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons I don't rush to digital is not because I think digital is awful, although there's some things about it that are awful in terms of how, you know, the, the form in which people view the movie. But 
I think it's more that, you know, that's the end. Mm-hmm. And it precludes other things from happening. Um, and including these screenings and these bookings that I'm talking about, you know, when I was describing the timeline of, of a bread factory. And so I think that it is, I don't want to go so far as to say it's giving up, but it, 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 it does assign a kind of end um, there, you know, there's obviously there's a, a thing we haven't covered, which is a lot of what happens to digital libraries or films, you know, for future stuff, which is a big question, but at least at it, it's an end of a quite important stage of, of a film's life. And sometimes that feels right. And some, you know, it did within the family at one point. Um, and I was willing to experiment um, with how to do that. Um, but at other films, at other points, it doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think, you know, in general, I do think some things are worth protecting. You know, I do think um, something very rare happens in theaters. Um, but I am not so dogmatic that I think like that's, you know, um, the only way. Um, and that I, you know, for example, with, uh, with a bread factory, many of the critics you're talking about, you know, we can't afford critic screenings. Many critics will not come to critic screenings for our films. Um, and so they're watching it on screener. Um, and that's something where, you know, I, I'm not thrilled about. But I look at the balance um, for this film at this time. Yeah, and what it you means. didn't do that in the past. I did for In the Family, too. I didn't with Grief. I had a DVD. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's how we met. You know, it's a... <laughs> you know, it was because really? you, we were, you know, we were corresponding. Mm-hmm. And I could have dropped this thing in the mail. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, this guy's in New York. You know, I, all these critics I never get to talk to just in case he ends up writing something nice about the film, it would yeah. be nice to like actually have met somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we met face to face and I don't know if that, you know, I don't know if that changed the, you know, the trajectory of how we interacted, but mm-hmm. um, it was, it was nice at the time just to start uh, seeing critics as, as, you know, these people as opposed to these bylines. Yeah. No, it's definitely, I mean, here we are. <laughs> and, and, you know, we've been friends since. But it definitely is nice. And there's, a, you know, it's very much you. It's like very much you to do that. And there's like a relationship that developed. And, there, and there's something a lot warmer than just, you know, this cold kind of internet thing where it's like, I want to see your movie. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm really going to enjoy it probably. And I did. But there's that little extra bit of like, well, wouldn't it be nice to just show up and be like, I'm a human being Mm -hmm. and this person's a human being too. And that's it. Because often with the internet, it's very easy to just get like cruel and just kind of forget that the humanity and everything. Right. And also to to understand, not let it uh, dictate how everything happens, you know, so like to, to recognize this little opportunity. You know, it's like, oh, we can still do this in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, we can still do this podcast in person. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it doesn't go so far as a dogma. It's like, I will only deliver in person screeners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You must come to my home. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it, it's nothing like that. It's just recognizing when there is are these little windows of opportunity mm-hmm. um, to, to do things that uh, we used to do all the time. Um, but at least, you know, it would be nice. It'd be nice to shake someone's hand. Yeah. And <laughs> say hello. 
or be friends with them for years after. Yes, that's nice too. Um, yeah, just to touch on that before we wrap up, you talked about how like it's the end of the film, like you put it out and and that's it. And I remember when we first met, I'd only made shorts, and my my first feature wasn't out, and I really wanted people to see all this stuff. So I understood and respected the way you did stuff. But now that I've made more and shown more and have aged and uh, matured I understand it more I understand it a lot like deeper than I did and I totally understand what you mean when you say like these things come out that's it Mm -hmm. they're done like you have people talk about it maybe for a couple days and your best case scenario is that it ends up on a year ender which is Mm -hmm. like as we said I can't remember if it was on here or not but as we said it's like kind of it's the same 20 movies and they're in a different order and, and that's it. So yeah. you might not even get that. And it's just like, is this really what we're trying to do? Like we're putting all this time and effort into this thing that is supposed to be meaningful to us yeah. and to hopefully other people. And the best we can hope for is that. And that's it. And it's over. And, you know, this comes back to a theme, which is that, Yes, it to me at a time a period point in time it seems like the end, but it never it doesn't have to be. And and very recently I started talking to a company who is built around that idea, like they understand that you can't just have a digital premiere. They their big pitch is that they keep marketing the film over the entire license period. They want to help people find it and that they slim down their catalog so that you're not going through waves and waves of material. And so there's nothing about a digital release that has to feel so uh, final. Um, and I, I think that that's the piece of the future that is exciting. is not really a, a digital salvation, but you know, how do we use this tool in ways that sort of address these problems we're experiencing right now? Uh, which is this, you know, sudden decay of uh, relevance for titles. Uh, you know, that the, this, they have this hard and fast kind of expiration date and then we don't talk about them anymore mm. and nobody sees them. Mm. So, the obligatory last question, what's next for a bread factory and what's next for you that doesn't have anything to do with a bread factory but still movies? Yeah, what's next for a bread factory is is actually kind of neat. So I, I am going to France. They, they, re- they released both parts separately. So I did my oh. tour for part one, mm-hmm. and I'll be going for two, three weeks to do a part tour. Uh, tour. That'll be really nice. Um, because the film is about community art centers, we've been hearing from a lot of you know, community art centers <laughs> that are cinemas um, or community groups that find that aspect of it very interesting um, and who are engaged in or communities engaged in these kinds of struggles. Um, that's been a really nice thing. So, you know, the, uh, a review may not bring people into the theater, you know, uh, review comes out on Friday, you know, it doesn't bring them in by Saturday, but it has this kind of reach across geographies and if you give it a little more time. And so I'm looking forward to First of all, just talking to some of these places. They're really neat. You know? And the people that move through them are really neat. There was one I was out in in New Jersey, Lambertville. Mm. Yeah, Acme. I saw that. I was like, are we close to that? And we weren't. <laughs> I never heard about it. Right? I never heard about it either. But apparently it's, 
you know, a lot of artists are there. Um, a lot of people love it. It's a wonderful place. But this theater is, is a courthouse during the day. <laughs> it's a theater on, on certain nights and weekends. Um, but they recently, you know, had a capital campaign and really have really nice projection in there now. Um, they have very interesting programming, you know, that's kind of all across the board that has some bigger movies mixed in with all these um, much rarer things. And it's kind of created an excitement in the community um, that uh, is just great to witness. So I think, like, I'm looking forward to just having more conversations with places like this, finding them, playing the movie there, and if I can, being there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's what's next for the movie. And so hopefully people, you know, if you're listening to this and you don't have an art house and you don't see a screening on our page, that you'll just write us. Because some people have just been writing us and then they end up organizing a screening in their community. Whoa, that's awesome. Um, it is awesome. And it's, it's awesome beyond the movie, I think, because it's a gateway for certain people that, you know, maybe they had a film screening club that was, you know, in their university or something or that was, you know, a little more modest, but it helps them understand oh, what if I book it at the theater? What does that take? Mm-hmm. And they learn something that they can then apply to other films. Is this happening more, or is it just me? Like, am I just, like, starting to pay attention to all this kind of stuff? Are you seeing more of these things come up? These, I, like, community-organized things? It's very hard to say, yeah. because, you know, because I knew so little before, and I know so little now, and so the changes are <laughs> uh, hard to understand. Um, what I do see is that there is it's more than theory you know there are these vibrant things happening um and that they come from individuals which is a danger you know the film gets into that as to how it's a danger when you just have these people powering it what happens after you don't have those people anymore Mm -hmm. um but another thing the film looks at is there are there's new blood there are new people that sometimes accidentally fall into these roles um, but when they find they're very good at it um, and that they enjoy it, um, it pops up and it becomes a very, very vibrant thing. And so I'm, I'm discovering them. Um, I think part of that is definitely the nature of these movies is inviting uh, that discovery. Um, but I hope, I mean, I hope it's on the rise. But I think one of the things is it's very... I like to make movies about things that are easy to miss and I think this kind of activity, these kinds of places are easy not to appreciate, to take for granted and to miss um, because they are very local. They don't, um, they're not the subject of news articles and they're not, you know, tourist destinations. Um, but they are a kind of glue that keeps us all together. And I think it's good to see that and remember that. And what's next for you? For me, well, I have a Spy Camp to read. <laughs> movies! I have... Uh, oh, for movies? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I really don't know. Mm. Uh, you know, that feeling of a circle is nice. Um, I never feel like... I make every movie as if it's the last one. And I, I take that pretty seriously. You know, it's not just a thing to say. And so I have to, I feel like every time after a movie, I have to very consciously decide I want to make another movie. Um, I'm not there yet. Mm. Um, And I think that that's great. 
as freedom so that if you do do it you know that you really chose to mm-hmm. um but you know usually the in this space there's just a little wandering you know where where books slipped into your mind and um they lead you to the next thing which may be a movie maybe something else mm-hmm. gotcha well always very inspiring to talk to you i'm glad we finally recorded it so now that everyone can listen to me get inspired and get inspired yourself so thank you for coming on and doing that thank you very much for having me um so please check out his movies uh you can find in the family on amazon right yes on amazon on vimeo itunes not on itunes not on itunes forget that um (laughs) or in france next time you're in france right yeah and um we might be hearing something about grief or yeah sometime uh maybe around the middle of next year awesome and bread factory hey go see it and if it's not playing anywhere uh email patrick at (laughs) exactly well it's uh the the address on our website it's info at breadfactory.com yeah so do that and uh, they're all wonderful films. You will be very pleased to see all of them. So thank you again for coming on. And peace. <laughs>